I'm excited to be with you this morning. Um, I want to share for a few minutes why what we're talking about is so important. Um, some of you personally know the effects that anxiety and depression can have on you. Some of you are walking through it right now. Some of you have lived in it for 20 or 30 years. This is not something that's easy to get over. We have 13-year-olds uh, in our own community that are, that are dealing with this to a point where they feel like there's no hope. More now than ever before in history is anxiety and depression affecting people. It just is. It's affecting people within the church. It's affecting people without, outside of the church. It's affecting those that have hope and those that don't have hope. It's affecting everyone. This is something we have to take very, very seriously. And over the last few weeks and few months and few years, this is something that I personally have been dealing with. To the point where it has affected every area of my life. It's affected my relationships. It's affected my health. It's affected everything about me because I've been dealing so much with this. And it's so interesting to me that the point that it got heightened to the, to the point that it did was when we began talking about it. When we began bringing it out in the open and, and began trying to silence, trying, trying to break this silence that's been around it is when it really kicked in. And I'm telling you, I'm not the only one. There's people in this room that have talked to me. There's people that have watched on the, on the webcam that said, as soon as we started this, it got worse. Yes. We're taking ground. We're taking new steps. We're beginning to fight something that maybe we've never fought before, and the enemy is scared, and because of that, it's going to be intensified. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. Don't give up. Don't give up as we fight this. There is victory from anxiety, there's victory from depression. You don't have to suffer, and you don't have to suffer alone. Let's do this together. I want this room to be a place of vulnerability, where we can come in here and be honest with, you know what, I'm not okay. Because guess what? None of us are okay. We're all struggling. It may not be with this, it may be with something else, but we all come in here and we're broken. So don't come in here and feel like you have to put on this makeup or this perfect look. Don't. Come in here and be okay saying, you know what, I'm not okay, and I want to be. And I'm telling you this as your pastor, I am not okay all the time, and I want to be. I want to fight what I'm dealing with, and I want to do it with you. I want us to be open and honest that we can come in here and fight together. Over the last few months and few years, really over the last few weeks, I had two people tell me, how can you, how can you be a pastor and also have anxiety. That seems like it's opposites. Really? Because I think they go hand in hand because the enemy is so scared of Christians that are taking steps in their faith. He's so scared. And so I'm telling you, be honest about where you're at so that we can heal and we can grow and we can win together. We win together. When we come together, that's when we win. I'm being vulnerable with you. I want you to be vulnerable. This is, a touchy, this is a touchy subject this morning. I mean, this whole, whole series is touchy. The things that we're talking about are, are hard to deal with. And it's affecting, again, we had a 13-year-old boy that, that is, is dealing with this to a point where there's no hope and he's lost all hope. I don't want us to get to that point. There is hope. You will be okay. The Bible says he's going to bring you 
through the valley of the shadow of death, not to it. He doesn't bring you to it and then leave you so you can suffer alone. He's taking you through it. That means you will get through it. You will get through it. Last week we talked, well not last week, when we talked last, we talked about rest in a physical sense, how physical rest affects us in our battle against anxiety and depression. This week we're talking about rest part two in a spiritual sense. Uh, We're going to be in three passages of Scripture. John's going to throw them up there for you. (coughs) Three passages of Scripture. Anxiety, mental illness is not just a physical issue, but it's also not just a spiritual issue. It's both. And so we talked about rest in a physical sense, how that affects us. And this week we're talking about rest in a spiritual sense. What does spiritual rest look like? How do we gain it? What do we do to get it? Um, And I want to just point out one more thing. This is called mental illness. This is an illness. This is something that happens. I heard, I was reading on Facebook the other day, which by the way, I've I've just got to get off Facebook. People just annoy me on Facebook. I just, ah, people, don't be ignorant on Facebook. And there's people that are posting about some people that have, that have committed suicide recently, and they're, they're mad that people are calling them suicide victims. They're mad at the word victim, and they're saying, well, well, they were in control. They did it themselves. You know what? They are a victim because this is an illness. This is some, a physical illness that you can have. Do not shame somebody for that. I am... I am I am gracious. I, I love grace. I love the grace of the Father. But if I hear that you are saying something like, I will punch you. Square in the face. <laughs> Not really. I won't actually do that. But don't, don't shame people for struggling. That, it just leads to more. It leads to more struggle. Okay, I'm fired up. <laughs> All right. Part of this message is taken from a, a ministry call, I can't remember the name of the ministry, Global Ministry Awareness or something. His name is Leif Hetland. He's Norwegian. Um, and he does, he talks about these three chairs. He stole it from somebody else who stole it from somebody else who stole it from somebody else. This has been passed around for a long time. So if you Google the three chairs in ministry, the three ch- spiritual chairs, you're probably going to find this. And I'm happy saying that I stole this because this is a powerful message. This is a powerful concept that will affect the way that you live. And we're obviously going to put our own twist on it and, and take things a little bit differently. But I, both of my grandpas died when I was young. Uh, they, they died when I was really young. I had hardly any experience with them. Uh, but one of the things that I remember, this chair is way low to the ground. I'm basically sitting on the ground right now. <laughs> but one of the things I remember about my mom's dad is he had a chair, not exactly like this, but he had this really, really comfortable chair that he would sit in. And you did not take Papa's chair. You didn't. It was bad if you did. He would sit there, and he would watch tech games. And he would sit there. By the way, Reckham Tech, if anybody watched yesterday. He would sit there, and he would scream at the TV, but he would do it in his chair. And he would sit there, and he would rest, and he would sleep. I mean, he would literally slept. He never slept in a bed. He would get in that chair, and he was gone every time. Some of you are not yet. You have this chair in your house. You're like, yes, I have that chair. But this, this was my grandpa. I have very few memories. In fact, I have one memory where he wasn't in his chair. He was always in the chair. And he loved it. And you didn't take that chair from him. When I think about Jesus' invitation to us, I think about this chair. This chair 
that Papa had, that he was comfortable, that he was resting, that he enjoyed being in, that you couldn't pry him out of there. I think about that chair because we live in a world that's filled with hurt and it's filled with pain and it's filled with anxiety and how nice it would be if our spirits could rest. And when I think about my spirit resting, I think about my papa sitting in his chair. It didn't matter what was going on. He was at rest in that chair. He could, re- he could sleep through anything in that chair. He could rest. This might be a hard message for me. By the way, if I start crying, it's okay. You can just come hug me later. <laughs> Jesus talks about, he gives us an invitation, and we're going to read it here in a few minutes, but he says, come to me when you feel this, when you are anxious, when you are hurt, when you are heavy laden. Come to me, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to him to partake in a rest that goes way beyond a physical rest. Rest comes when we sit in the right chair. And I believe there's three chairs we can sit in. But we're not going to get there yet. Those are going to be my three points, but we're not there yet. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and learned and revealed them to little children. By the way, how weird is that? There's a concept that we need to take from that, that Jesus says, Father, thank you that you hid this from the old folks. He says that right here. He says, you did not show this to them. You showed this to little children. If you take one thing away from this morning, I want you, I want you to hear this. This is, this is, whoo, you need to hear this. This is good. Part of the reason that we can't rest is because we've grown up too much. We have grown up too much. And I'm going to break that down, what that means today. But Jesus actually calls us to live a childlike faith. And childlike faith does not mean immaturity. It doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing. But actually a sign of spiritual maturity is when you're living childlike in your faith. And we're going to talk about what childlike faith looks like. But I'm going to keep going here. He says, thank you that you didn't show this to them, but you showed it to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus reveals parts of his kingdom only to little children. So what comes with a childlike faith? An understanding of the Father's heart for his children. Childlike faith means we have an understanding of the Father's heart for His children. We come in this room and we pray weekly, our Father in heaven. I think that up here, we have a knowledge that God is our Father. We know that the moment I said yes to Jesus, I've been accepted into His kingdom and into His family. And so I have a knowledge up here that I'm in the family of God, that I'm a son of God, that I'm a daughter of God, that I am a child 
of God. But I heard it said one time that the largest distance in the world is from here to here. I can't convince myself in here that I'm a child of God even though I know it's true. It's the same thing that we, we deal with in a lot of Christian concepts. Of, I know that Jesus says He comes to set me free, but I can't be set free. We have to learn in here, I am a child of God and not just believe it in our head, but it has to be also in our heart. We know that God says He's our Father and He says I'm His child, but what does that mean for now? I know that means that I get to be in heaven and I get to be with Him forever, but what does that mean for me today in my faith, in my walk, in my life. Anxiety is far too often our normal uh, because we've grown up too much and we've forgotten to experience the Father's heart for us. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? What an interesting passage where Jesus is calling all you parents evil. <laughs> He's telling you that. He's saying, you know what? You're evil. Guess what? Every single person in this room is evil. We do things. We mess up. We sin. We just do but we as people still know how to give good gifts to people. It's different with parents and children than it is with grandparents and children. I've, I've noticed this, seeing my parents become grandparents. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> but we lived our whole lives. I mean, like, I'm sharing a room with every sibling that I have. I'm sharing a room with them. Suddenly, we all get out of the house, and my parents buy a nice house that has a pool, that has all these things. I'm thinking, what? You don't need that. Oh, we have grandkids. <laughs> They're different than regular children. <laughs> They're regular children, but better. <laughs> and that's what I've learned. But he says, we are evil. We are evil people. We mess up. We don't always do what we're supposed to do. We sin, and we still know how to give good gifts. How much more does he give good gifts to us? How much more? Because he doesn't mess up. He's not evil. This is like peewee football versus the NFL. Doesn't Quanah have a peewee football team that's like, Good? Aren't they good? I, I'm sure that they're good. I'm not dissing any. If you play or you coach, I'm, I'm proud of you. Great. I could not do that. Honest to goodness, I could not. But if you put them against the Dallas Cowboys, it's going to be a slaughterhouse. It just is. There's it, it, 0% chance. And this is the comparison that he's making. You are like a peewee parent giving your kids these gifts. I am like a Dallas Cowboy parent. I want to just lavish things on you, and I'm not even, I want to give these things to you. But the problem is, so many of us have a misunderstanding of our Father's heart because we had a misunderstanding of our, our, our earthly Father's heart. We didn't get to see our Heavenly Father's heart because our earthly Father didn't represent it. We didn't get to see that, and maybe our earthly Father did represent it, and we still don't have even a close idea of how good and gracious and loving our Heavenly Father is. If we begin to really understand who our Heavenly Father is, it will change everything because His love is grander and sweeter and greater and bigger and deeper than anything we've ever experienced. There's nothing that can compare. 
And once we can grasp onto that, we can grasp onto the fact that we are His children. And that means something when it comes to our fight against anxiety and depression. What if we truly believe that our Father's love was so much grander than we could ever imagine? One of our problems with anxiety is we've forgotten who our Father is and who that makes us. In the book, Anxious for Nothing, by the way, I still have some copies. Everyone that's read it, it has told me, like, I need, to, I need to read that 10 years ago, okay? I still have copies. I would love for you to have one. But Max Licato writes, When a father leads his four-year-old son down a crowded street, he takes him by the hand and says, Hold on to me. He doesn't say, Memorize the map or take your chances in traffic or let's see if you can find your way home. The good father gives the child one responsibility. Hold on to my hand. God does the same thing with us. Don't overload yourself with lists. Don't enhance your anxiety with the fear of not fulfilling them. Your goal is not to know every detail of the future. It's to hold the hand of the one who does and never, ever let go. That's our Father. That's our Father. Not that He pushes us in traffic and says, Good luck. Have fun. He says, take my hand and just don't let go. That's our Father. And often our fight with anxiety means that I'm trying to figure out so many things. And I'm, trying to, I'm trying to figure out the future. This is me. This is what I've been doing. I'm trying to figure out every single detail up until the day that I get to be with Jesus. And I try and figure this out. And that's not what he says. He says, don't try and figure all that out. Just take my hand and step by step, step by step we'll make it but hold on to my hand. Hold on to my hand. That's our one job. Hold on to his hand. Often, our understanding of our Father's heart is tied to three specific ideas, three specific mindsets, three specific chairs. See, here we go. Now we're getting into the the juice. Chair one, this chair, the stool, the least comfortable chair. This is going to represent being outside of the family. Point number one is outside of the family. This is us when we don't have a relationship with the Lord, when we are lost. There is no hope. I'm telling you something. If you're living in chair one, you are living in anxiety. That's it. There's no other option but to live in anxiety because there is no hope. You cannot have rest if you don't have hope. You can't. And so when we live in this chair, we cannot help but live in anxiety. We can't do enough right things. This is a thought that we have. I can't, I can't do enough right things. Newsflash. No, you can't. You can't. You can't pray hard enough. You can't sing loud enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't think good enough thoughts. You can't be kind enough. Nothing you can do is enough. That's true. Thank God that he sent Jesus. That's what, that's what gets us out of this chair is recognizing that Jesus, fully man and fully God, came down to earth, lived life as a man, died on a cross, overcame death, overcame the grave, so that you could overcome your sin and be with Him. That's Jesus. That's who He is to us. That's how we get out of this chair and move to the chair we're supposed to be in. But here's the problem. The Bible says when we accept him, we've been adopted. I don't know if you know how adoption works, but this is, this is literally what happens in real life. I'm a parent. There's the, there's the child I want to adopt, and there's the judge. The judge will look at me, and he'll say, do you want to adopt this child? Are you going to be able to provide for them 
you know, are you going to be able to do this? Are you going to be able to do this? Do you love this child? Would you do anything for this child? And I said, of course, yes, yes. But then they look at the child, and they say, do you want to be adopted by that family? And how often in my life and in our lives do we sit and think, no, I really don't. That way's too hard. I know that he, he laid it all out, but it's just, it's too much. I don't want to live that way. I want to keep living my way. I'm going to keep doing things my way. Maybe I'll get around to that sometime, but I really don't. Adoption hinges on the child saying yes. And when we say yes, that's how we get out of this chair and move to this chair. We completely skip chair two. But often, though we're legally in this chair, we are living in this chair right in the middle, which we're going to get to. I know you're just so fired up. I'm so fired up. <clears throat> but first, John 1, verse 12, says this. <coughs> Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what we do when we accept Jesus. We are entered into his family to become his children, not his workers, not his slaves, but his children, children of God, meaning he is now Father God. We have to understand him as Father. We have to, and it's hard. Some of us didn't have that representation. Some of us don't understand, but we have to learn of him. What does it mean for him to be our Father? But as soon as we say yes to that, we move. I think I've been calling this chair one. I'm going to change that and call it chair three. Okay, so that'll mess up your notes. This is chair three. That's chair one. Okay, chair three. When we accept Jesus, we move from this chair, chair three, <laughs> slash one, to this chair, which is the ideal chair, the chair we want to be in. But often, we stop right here, and we camp out right here in chair two. Chair two is called orphan. Chair two is called orphan. If this was a real-life chair like a real, a real physical mindset, you would see my rear end indentations in this chair because I live in this chair. I love this chair. And it's just, it's not comfortable. At least it's got a backrest and like that. But it's not that chair. But for some reason, this chair is more comfortable for me. Did you know that adopted children very, very often have a hard time feeling like they're a part of the family? Very, very often. Because they understand what's going on. There's something called RAD, R-A-D, uh, and it's called Reactive Attachment Disorder. And it's because of what the child has lived through before they were adopted. Anytime they're shown love or any kind of good emotion, they fight back. They push back. I think sometimes we do this. I think we do this in our faith because we don't have an understanding of God is our Father. When things begin to happen, and it doesn't necessarily seem loving, we begin to push back, we begin to fight, fight him back, even though he's always got our, our best intentions. Legally, adopted children are your children. Did you know that this, this is fascinating to me? If you adopt a child, you cannot write them out of your will. You can, you can write your, real child, your birth children out of your will, but not your adopted children. I know that you can write your your birth children out of your will, because that used to be my parents' threat to us when we would mess up. <laughs> you're gone. I'm just thinking, you're a pastor. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you have nothing. 
You have nothing to give to me anyways. No, I'm just kidding. But, but this happens. You can, you can write out your birth children out of your will, but not your adopted children. You can't. Legally, they are your child. You care for them. You love them. They're yours. But how often do they not feel that? I mean, they came from something different. They came from an abusive situation. They came from something, and it's hard for them to understand. I am actually a child, and we do this. Anxiety loves to live in this chair. I don't think God can take care of me, so I'm going to have to do it myself. I don't think He's got my best interest in mind, so I'm going to have to do it myself. If you think a lot of what-ifs, you're probably in chair two. If you think a lot of, what if this happens? Or what if this happens? What if I see them? What if he says this? What if she does that? By the way, this is, this is what I think all the time. I'm just being real with you. We can be real in this place. This is something I struggle with. If I sit in this room and, and we're having a low, a low morning, people are on vacation, immediately I think, what am I doing? What if I'm doing something wrong that, that no one's here for? What if I'm doing that? And that's why people are here. This is a real thing. This is chair two mindset. This is me trying to depend on myself and not trying to trust the God who loved me so much that he sent Jesus so he could be with me. That's me living in this chair. If you think a lot of what ifs, you're probably living in chair two. There's no rest. I doubt God's heart. I doubt he can take care of me. I have questions about that. I have concerns about that. I want to be completely independent. When we, were, when we were kids, all of us, I'm sure that y'all did this too, but when I was a child, for sure, when I would get on a fight with somebody on the playground, isn't it strange that my thought, and I think all of our thoughts were, my dad can beat your dad up. We used to say that. Like, who cares? He's not here. <laughs> who cares about that? But that used to be the way we would fight. Oh, my dad, my dad kicked your dad's rear end, you know? I don't think we believe that when it comes to God. Because we try and walk through anxiety and through depression and we walk through it by ourselves, not trusting that our God is actually big enough and strong enough to beat this thing. I don't trust Him enough to do it. But we have to be at that point where my dad is big enough. He can kick your dad's rear end. He can, and he will. He's going to. But that's the point that we have to be at in our faith and in our spiritual walk with Him. If we truly want to be anxious for nothing, we have to move out of chair two, get up out of chair two, and hop into chair one. And chair one is family. Chair one is family. Chair one is recognizing I am a part of the family. I depend on the Father to take care of me. If you've ever had a baby or you've ever looked at a baby or you, ever, you know what a baby is, you know they don't do anything to earn love. They do the opposite. Babies keep you up at night. Babies make horrible messes everywhere. And you're just like, what happened in here? They, they tear things apart. They don't earn love. But they get love because they're your child. This is our relationship with Jesus. You don't have to earn it. You're going to mess up. You're going to. You're going to sin. Going to. Every single person in this room is. It's going to happen. That doesn't mean he's going to write your name off or scratch it off. He says you don't have to earn it. You're mine. 
You are mine. You can live in my love because you're mine. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do enough right things. You can't do enough wrong things. Chair one recognizes I can come and I can sit in that chair with Papa as he holds me. And I can rest. That's chair one. Because I don't have to worry because my, my God is taking care of it. My dad is taking care of it. You know, I, I went to a ministry training school overseas. And, and people overseas have a much greater, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, something. It's easier for them to understand God as Father for some reason than it is for us. And so they would start their prayers and they would say, Dad. Or they would say, Abba. And I'm sitting here thinking, why are you calling him that? You need to call him sir. Call him captain, you know? This is too informal here. I'm thinking this in my brain. And I'm thinking, he wants us to call him dad. He wants us to call him Abba as he just holds us. Chair one recognizes it doesn't matter what I'm walking through because dad is walking through it with me. Dad is holding my hand while we're walking through this. Dad is going to take care of me. Babies don't have to provide. Your baby's not out working. If your baby has a job, stop. Let him rest. Babies don't have to do anything. They just get to soak in their parents' love. And the fact that their parents are going to take care of them and provide for them. And that's what we get to be with God our Father. That's where we find spiritual rest. There's no anxiety when we sit and we say, thank you, God, that you're taking care of me. Thank you, Dad, that you're holding me through this. That's where there's spiritual rest when we understand who He is and who I am. There's a few differences in having an orphan mindset and having a, a sonship mindset. I'm going to read those to you real quick. If I'm an orphan, I think that I have to earn things. I think that I have to earn, earn love. I have to do all the right things. That's not what family says. Family says receive. Orphan earn, family says receive. I'm just going to receive this. I didn't do anything to earn it. I'm just going to receive it. Orphan mindset says I have to earn man's approval. I have, to, I have to earn it. I have to be good enough to get man's approval. I just want people to be happy with me. I just want people to say nice things to me. And family mindset just seeks the father's praise. When I was a kid, there would, anything in the world I wouldn't do just to hear my dad say he was proud of me. Anything in the world. I, don't, I didn't care what it was. I didn't care what people thought about me when I did it. If my dad would say he was proud of me, it meant everything. Our father sits and says, you know what? You can do all the wrong things and none of the right things, and I'm still proud of you. I wipe it all away, and I'm still proud of you because you're mine. That's what our father says, and that's what we say when we have the right mindset. Orphan mindset goes to competition and jealousy. I've dealt with this often. When I look at somebody else's life, this is part of the reason I've got to get off social media. I look at somebody else's life, and I'm like, they're in the Bahamas, like swimming with pigs. By the way, that's a thing. You can swim with hogs in the Bahamas. I don't know why you would want to, but you can't. And I'm looking at their life, and they're all tan, and they're at you know, the beach, whatever they're at. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> My sister moved to Montana, and she's getting her doctorate, and it snowed last week. I sat and I thought, my goodness, I would do everything for just a little bit of snow. Just one time, and then I, I'm fine not being cold all the time, but just a little bit of snow so it's not 150 outside. But I have this mindset where I look at other people, what they're walking through, and I'm like, I'm so jealous of that. They're getting blessed. 
You ever have the wrong person in your life get blessed and you're mad? Why, why did they get that? That was supposed to go to me. God, you missed. You hit the wrong address. That went to the wrong person. This is things I think about. I think about people in my life that have been rude to me and that have yelled at me and that have done, and I'm thinking, why did they get that? Why did they get blessed? That doesn't mean I did everything right. I do a lot of stuff wrong. But we all do stuff wrong, so why did they get that, not me? And this is the idea of competition. But when you're in a family, there's the idea of celebration. I can celebrate God's good gifts that He gives others because He's going to give those gifts to me. He says, I give every good and perfect gift, everything that you need, I give to you. And so I can celebrate what he's doing for them because, God is, because dad is providing. And I can celebrate because he's about to do it for me. Celebration mindset. The last one I'm going to talk about is self-reliant versus dependent. When I have an orphan mindset, I'm self-reliant. I think about I have to get everything done by myself. I have to take all the right steps. I have to do all the right things. It's all up to me. But when I have a child mindset, I am happily dependent on, on dad. I'm happily dependent because I know he's not going to let me down. He's not going to fail me ever. That's not who he is. Rest comes when we know we're family. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus looks at you and he calls you family. If you've accepted him into your heart, he calls you family. He doesn't call you an orphan anymore. He calls you his son or his daughter, his beloved son or his daughter. And he's so happy that you're a part of his family. And he longs to take care of you and hold you and love you. But it takes the child saying yes. It takes us saying yes. As we close, I just want to encourage you again. This is something that you need to be honest with. Be honest with yourself. I'm not okay, but I want to be. I don't believe that I'm a son. I don't believe that I'm a daughter, but I want to. This is where we have to be. I want to be at that place. And I, I don't think anyone would sit and say, I really don't want to be at that place. But it's hard for us to identify maybe areas that we're struggling in this or, or situations where maybe I don't trust. I mean, I don't trust dad enough. Maybe I don't trust God enough. The picture that I've given, I think I've shared this before, but I picture us when, when we worship and we have praise and worship and we raise our hands, we raise our hands to Jesus. That, that reminds me of when I was young and I would sit and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the living room and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for dad to come home. And I'm just, I'm just waiting. And suddenly you hear the garage door begin to go up and you as a kid are like losing your mind. Dad's home. And you like start bouncing off the wall, start drawing crayon everywhere, some of y'all know. And, and you're just so happy because dad's home. And you hear that door open. And you run. And your arms go up, dad, hold me. That child doesn't have a care in the world because dad's home. Dad's home. And he wants to hold you as you walk through this. He wants to hold you as you battle this. He does. We're going to end a little bit differently. Uh, I'm going to play a song. Um, and I just want to challenge you. I don't know if I'll get through the song, but I want to challenge you that if this is something that you're struggling with, I want you to pray about it right now. You don't have to pray out loud. Pray in your heart. Pray in your head. Just say, God, what is it? What is it that I need to change? How do I have a, a better understanding of who you are? Because he loves you so much. 
Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. If there's areas of our hearts that we need to confess faulty mindsets, I pray that you would bring that up. Remind us that we're your children. You unravel me with melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer slain fear. Oh, I am a child of God. I'm no longer slain fear. Oh, I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave. Child of God, I'm no longer a slave in fear. Oh, I am a child of God. Oh, 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 oh. you spit the sea so I could fears in perfect love you rescue me so I could stand and say I am a child of God you split the sea so I could walk right through it my fears would round in perfect love you rescue me so I could stand and say, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm no longer I'm no longer slain fear. Oh, I am a child of God. Jesus, we just love you. And we're just so thankful that you're Father, that you're Father God. And I just pray this morning that we would have a, a new revelation of your love for us. 
a new acceptance of your love for us, a new realization of your love for us. We come to you and we call you dad and we say we love you and we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the ways that you're going to care for us and the ways that you're going to love us. And God, I thank you that you forgive us when we mess up. I thank you that you forgive us when we, when we do the wrong things, when we don't say the right things. Thank you that because you're dad, you love us and you're proud of us. And we receive that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.